So when we pitch ideas for this show, we usually start by looking up some event from that week in history. And at one of our meetings, someone mentioned, hey, this is actually the same week that TGIF launched. A few people on the call were immediately like, oh my God, yes, I loved TGIF. Meanwhile, I was trying to figure out why everyone was so excited about the chain restaurant that makes its employees dress like Candyland referees. Turns out, they weren't talking about that TGIF. They were talking about the beloved Friday night TV lineup, specifically the shows that ran in the 80s and 90s that ABC used to air. A two-hour block of iconic sitcom programming. We wanna have some fun, show you how it's done, TGIF. As I scrolled through the list of shows, I recognized some. Sister, Sister, Boy Meets World. Others I had never heard of, like Baby Talk, Perfect Strangers. TGIF had a few different iterations over the years, but I'm talking about the OG lineup, the one from the late 90s, the one that truly reached the heights of cultural relevance. It was clear I had just missed this TGIF phenomenon. It felt like this nostalgia gap between the older millennials and the younger ones. I didn't get it. What made TGIF so special? Why did millions of Americans tune in every Friday night to watch two hours of families getting into shenanigans and having resolvable conflict? Not to be all Seinfeld about it, wrong network, but what is the deal? From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. On September 22nd, 1989, 33 years ago this week, ABC launched their now iconic TGIF lineup. So today on the show, three essays from three different people telling you, me, all of us about what made TGIF so special. Turns out sitcoms can teach us quite a bit about history, about our families, and about ourselves. Don't touch that dial. There's more show after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Our first essay is from producer Ramoy Phillip. He has a fondness for one character in the TGIF lineup in particular, someone who turned four little words into a phenomenon. Maybe you know him. Did I do that? (laughs) Ramoy, take it away. Okay, let me paint a picture for you. It's a breezy June afternoon in the early 2010s. I've just gotten off the Staten Island Ferry. I'm slowly walking up to a wedding venue where my date is smiling. She looks me up and down at my thick framed glasses, my long sleeve tucked in gingham shirt, the blue suspenders keeping my pants wasted comfortably high, my chocolate brown ankles peeking out under my rolled pant cuffs. We lock arms and join the other wedding guests. My date introduces me around to her friends. Within five minutes, maybe 10, one of them asks, Who are you, Urkel? Growing up as a brown, shy nerd kid in the early 90s, life wasn't easy to navigate. I didn't have endless YouTube tutorials to show me how to, you know, say words to a girl. I couldn't Google, how do you solve for shyness? I did have one source, though. A 36-inch, big-box black TV. It sat enshrined in cables and cords in my mom's small Texas apartment. On the walls, there were a bunch of photos. Aunties wearing the brightest saris. Big brown family get-togethers where everyone's wearing their widest immigrant smiles. My mom, she worked a lot, leaving me home alone. So I'd click on that TV often and watch the world come to life. On Saturday mornings, I'd tune into Zach, Slater, and Screech getting into their Save by the Bell shenanigans week after week. Here's your tip. Oh, you are very generous. And I've got a tip for you two lovely ladies. I'm free tonight. <laughs> but come on, there wasn't much of me on screen in all that California blonde. But TGIF, that Friday night programming, that was the answer. It constantly showed all these scenarios of what a family could be. Ones that didn't have to be white. Ones that even centered around untraditional heroes. A bit of bubbly, my sweet. Let it flow. Family Matters was one of those shows. It was about the Winslows, a multi-generational black family living in Chicago. Each week, they'd get into the typical family sitcom hijinks. That wasn't my family per se, me and my mom living a quiet immigrant life in Texas. But one of the show's primary characters, he did become a kind of North Star. Howdy doody, Winslows! Steve! How you doing, big guy? Go home. Go home now! Steve Urkel was the Winslows' annoying nerd next door. Back then, being in any way associated with smarts or intelligence kind of just made you this social pariah. So Urkel, the black brainiac boy, became this thorn in the side for the Winslows. Did I do that? But he also became the show's hero in his epic plight, convincing Laura Winslow, the Winslows' daughter, that he was her one true love. Laura Winslow? No. You didn't even let me finish. Sorry, I was just so eager to answer you. Well, you know, I asked you out a thousand times. 
thousand times and you have said no a thousand times. I am beginning to notice an alarming trend. <laughs> Get a clue, Steve. Give it up. Okay, so that whole thing of a man not listening to a woman when she says no, you can definitely see that here. I mean, I didn't say the 90s were perfect. Urkel, he became this avatar. One I could actually see myself in. I wore Coke bottle thick glasses just like Steve. I was smart and definitely not white. I had huge crushes on girls, but did not have the confidence to talk to them. God forbid, declare my undying love. So watching Steve actually stake his flag? With an unrelenting honesty? That meant something. His owning of his feelings, through all his nerdy shortcomings, it showed the world that he was a person worth being loved. It showed me I could believe in myself in that way too. But then that all got flipped upside down and around in season five, when Urkel's giant brain got the best of him. In episode eight, Steve is up to his old bag of romancing tricks. He's trying to convince Laura that he's her one true Romeo. But this time, science is going to prove it. Steve stands in the Winslow's living room with Laura, naturally. He's wearing a white lab coat. Okay, that's a bit abnormal. And he's holding a vial full of blue juice. Oh, okay, that's totally Urkel. This chemical compound will make me cool. <laughs> oh, will you go on and drink then, and then I'll show you my toothpaste that turns me into Dan Jackson. <laughs> Sarcasm and beauty? <laughs> Laura, what a babe. This elixir will improve my coordination, my posture, my vocal intonation, and I might even sprout a chest hair or two. Then this ominous music starts playing, and Steve, well, how else can I say it? He starts geeking out. Then he launches behind the couch. Laura looks worried. We still can't see Steve. But then, all of a sudden, he stands. Laura says his name once, twice. Finally, he responds. Steve who? Steve Urkel. You. No, 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 no. There is no Steve here. I'm Stefan, sweet thing. Stefan Urkels. This Stefan Urkel, he looked like Steve, but in no way was Urkel. Those big frame glasses, gone. That Weasley voice we were all so used to hearing? Gone. All his lived-in nerdiness was replaced by this Rico Suave alter ego, Stefan Urkel. Stefan spun the show on its axis. He'd keep showing up over and over again, always in the coolest looking suits, never wearing glasses. Something about him always felt that typical 90s too cool for school. Honestly, that changed the show for me. When I'd hear the Family Matters theme song on Friday nights, I'd change the channel. 
The show had existed for four plus seasons with Steve being the show's center. Sure, he was annoying and over the top, but there was always something endearing about him. And just like that, his legacy was undermined. Until that night, 15 or so years later, music playing under the Staten Island stars, my suspenders strapped up ready to go, my high-waisted pants dancing in the moonlight, with a beautiful date who was proud to be there with me. Everyone saw me too. That I looked, dressed, and was every bit Steve. A person who loved himself for who he was and was not going to be anyone else. Well, you know how the old saying goes, inside of you are two wolves, a Steve Urkel and a Stefan Urkel. And they... Uh, you know, I kind of forget how the rest of the saying goes, but that's okay because we've got another essay coming up. This one is from producer Julie Carley. Forget historic TV. We're about to get prehistoric. Tell him, Julie. And Gia's is watching ABC, the antediluvian broadcasting company. Well, hello there, fellow TV adventurers. We've landed in the wild world of ABC's one-of-a-kind hit, Dinosaurs. And it really is the only reason we should be talking about TGIF. You might remember the prehistoric masterpiece? It's the 1991 Henson sitcom about a reptilian family. No? No? Still nothing coming to mind? Well, let me massage that sweet, sweet cerebral cortex of yours with this. Hi, I'm the baby, brand new, just out. Gotta love me, come on, gotta love me. Oh yeah, you felt that, didn't you? Right in the memories. As much as the pink little bastard of a baby dinosaur is the star of the show, the Sinclair family is an entire collection of sitcom archetypes. There's the Dolty Father Earl. We all have our rough days, our little rough patches. Loving Mother Fran. You sweet thing, I'm going to miss you so much. Vain daughter Charlene. You come down here this instant. All-star son Robbie. I can always use the workout. <laughs> and bristly grandma Ethel. Here comes the grandma train. Open the tunnel. And all of them are going through the gauntlet of modern issues from sexual harassment to corporate greed, and getting rid of the elderly by throwing them into a tar pit. Hurling day, hurling day. <laughs> One more day till hurling day. One more day till I throw your mother over the cliff and into the pit. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, elder abuse. But there's more to this show than just relatable storylines. There's something deeper, more universal, and that's the absolute, total commitment to its driving concept, that existence is doomed. So bright, so cheery. But it's true. Co-creator Michael Jacobs said this about the show. Quote, The thing that human beings knew about dinosaurs was that in the end, they were extinct. So we always had that idea in the back of our minds. So the show is infused by this pall of death and extinction. Actually... The first minute of the very first episode begins with this announcement. A meteor 
three times the size of Earth is heading towards us in a collision course that will result in the extinction of all life on this planet. This just in? No, it's not. So, as ridiculous as a show about prehistoric dinosaurs sounds, its commentary on modern issues mixed with the certainty of doom suggests something about our own reality. It will end, and nothing matters. Wait, what, you don't see through that? In this episode, teenage son Robbie brings his report card home and is questioning the point of school, work, life. Look, this whole entire going-to-school concept, like, doesn't work and isn't going to last, okay? Here's my report card. I'll see you around the swamp. Says here you don't apply yourself. Says here you've got potential. Look, I'm just having a hard time with numbers and dates. Why? Well, because if this is the year 60 million and three, why is next year 60 million and two? Why are we counting backwards? What are we waiting for? And as a viewer, we all know the honest answer is death. It really doesn't matter what you do when life is observed from the 60 million years vantage point. But for Earl, the father, this takes him down a K-hole of feelings. After years of tail-breaking work as a tree pusher for the tyrannical corporation, we say so, he can't answer his son's question. For Earl, everything starts to feel pointless too. So the scaly Muppet leaves his family and flees to the wilderness. There, the meat-eating dinosaur finds a rat thing who is ready to risk it all. Uh, Well, if you plan on eating me, please, go ahead. You'd be doing me a favor, actually. What do you mean? The rat thing tells Earl that he just lost his home, his family. But this nihilism gives Earl pause. So he asks why all of this means the end for the rat thing. But to tell you the truth, my family's all that listens to me. My house is the only place in the world where I'm the boss. So then, uh, without your family... I'm completely nothing. Just alone out here in the cold. Completely nothing. Meaningless. In the end, Earl decides not to eat the rat thing. I learned something during my time in the woods. No matter how low you are in this world, as long as you have a family to come home to, well, they're lower. Meaning... And not to steal Ramoy's spotlight here, but family matters. Four seasons later in the series finale, the Sinclair family, along with the rest of the world, freezes to death in an ice age caused by the We Say So Corporation. But even though the end is obvious, Dinosaurs helps us see that even a doomed existence is still worth living. Wow. Who knew dinosaur puppets could convey such a profound message? Take that, philosophy! We're going to take a quick commercial break, but don't go anywhere. We've got one more essay after these words from our sponsors. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Welcome back to the viewers at home. We've been talking 80s and 90s sitcom gold and the iconic TGIF TV lineup. We've got one final essay for you. 
This one from our executive producer, Zach Stewart-Pontier. It's about a show that I had never watched, step by step. But when Zach explained to me why the show meant so much to him, I knew it was a story we had to share. So Zach, the mic is yours. I grew up an only child in a picturesque small town in upstate New York. And I was around 12 when my parents split up. My life suddenly divided in half. I started spending the weekdays with my mom at the house I grew up in. And on Friday afternoons, my dad picked me up for a weekend at his house. Well, to be more specific, for a weekend at his girlfriend's house. Now, his girlfriend was a lawyer, and this is a little complicated, but she was representing the weekly newspaper that my dad ran against the libel claim. It was a bullshit libel claim. The wrinkle was that he ran this newspaper with my mom. So basically, my dad ran off with his lawyer. Talk about attorney-client privilege. (laughs) Boom. That's a joke I've been waiting to make for some time. The first time I saw the sitcom Step by Step was on one of these weekend adventures with my dad sitting on his girlfriend's couch. So, given what I was going through, the show hit pretty close to home. Step by Step premiered as part of TGIF on September 20th, 1991. In the sitcom, Patrick Duffy plays Frank Lambert, a divorced contractor, and Suzanne Summers plays Carol Foster, a widowed salon owner. Each of them are single parents with three children. After meeting on a blind date, they fall in love and get married in secret in Jamaica. I don't know. Who came up with this? And eventually they form a big, happy, blended family. Hey, Mark, how's it going? They feel so sick. And you know, it's a sitcom on ABC. So family-friendly hilarity ensues. Like the time Carol's son gets caught smoking a cigar. Does he smell like cigar smoke? Yeah. Carol wants to reprimand him, but Frank offers to step in with a fatherly word because they, quote, have a lot in common. Like what? We can both write our names in the snow. <laughs> like I said, hilarity. The step-by-step theme song is all about new beginnings. It's filled with lyrics like fresh start and better the second time around. At the time, I was just a kid. I didn't know anything about divorce. And it was meaningful for me to see the aftermath of one represented on screen. It confirmed one thing for sure. I was about to have a lot of other people in my life. Often sitting next to me on my dad's girlfriend's couch was her daughter. She was just a couple years younger than me. Me and my dad and the lawyer and her daughter would all spend the weekend together. I remember trips to the mall, playing in the old barn on the property and getting a cat that I named Jeter. R.I.P. Jeter. The cat, not the baseball player. Our weekend family time became more and more routine. I need no time for breakfast. I'm running late. Uh, Frank, I need to talk to you about something important. Uh, Did I forget to put the toilet seat down, honey? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's a lot more important than that. Well, can it wait, honey? I'm really running late. I think I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) What's the matter, Daddy? Did something go down the wrong pipe? (laughs) You can say that. Well, next time you should be more careful. 
Early in season four on Step by Step, Carol gets pregnant. And this baby, this was going to be the true blending of the Fosters and the Lamberts. Her name is Lily. Lily Lambert, that's cool. But actually, her full name is Lily Foster Lambert. I remember wondering if something like this was in my future. I wasn't sure about all this change happening. A new house, new people, things split between the weekends and the weekdays and mom and dad. But if the Fosters and the Lamberts were happy, maybe I could be too. Things turned. The first time the lawyer called me and her daughter, the kids. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I didn't like it at all. I summoned up some courage and talked to my dad about it. I remember saying something like, I don't want to be grouped with this other person. It makes me uncomfortable. We aren't the kids. He told me he understood and he would talk to his girlfriend about it. And the next time the lawyer talked about me and her daughter, she called us the young adults. Not exactly sure where the game of telephone had broken down, but clearly my father had misconstrued the message. In my way, I was rejecting the blended family, but that hadn't gotten through. As my parents' divorce was finalized over the next several years, step-by-step became a twisted version of a reality that I wanted nothing to do with. I started noticing the things not depicted in the show. There were no drop-offs, no pickups, no dealing with mom's feelings of being left out, no being caught between two people you love. I stopped watching the show. I didn't want a new beginning. I wanted my old family back. I will say that revisiting step-by-step and writing this essay has been a little bit like jumping into a time machine. It's not been an entirely pleasant journey. I joke to the team that I've only been able to work on the piece in 10-minute increments, which is an exaggeration, mostly. But of course, I don't blame Step by Step for any of this. Sitcoms, especially the shows on TGIF, they were supposed to be feel-good family fun. Thank God it's Friday. It was an escape from the realities of a long week of work or school, And maybe that's the beauty of airing all these shows in a block. If Step by Step wasn't doing it for you, there was Family Matters, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and Dinosaurs, minutes away. The lawyer and her daughter, they aren't in the picture anymore. And as for me and my parents, it's been fun to get to know each other as adults. I had them over to my house a couple weeks ago for a barbecue, And I'm happy to report that they were both on their best behavior, sitting next to each other and playing with my kids. Turns out the thing that actually sort of brought my family back together, it wasn't a television fantasy. It was something much more powerful. Grandchildren. TV, man. It's powerful. It's comforting. It brings people together. And that communal aspect, that's the part that feels increasingly past tense. I mean, I know I can probably go and watch many of the old TGIF shows on some streaming service, but I'm not going to have that TGIF moment. 
where everyone is tuning in at the same time, laughing together, crying together. I know I started this whole thing being like, WTF is TGIF, but now I'm just like, damn, major TGIF FOMO. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by the Not Past It team. Next week, we're taking a history domino journey through fashion, fitness, and political fundraising. The aerobic movement that helped women become powerful, become, become their own person. They thank me every day. I knew I was on to something. Our associate producers are Julie Carley, Ramoy Phillip, and Nick Del Rose. Laura Newcomb is our production assistant. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Katie Feather and Andrea B. Scott. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Emma Munger. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Dr. Rachel Phillip and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, Ella Walsh, Ariel Joseph, and Joshua Bianchi. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. Did I do that? Oh, geez. (laughs) Okay, let me try that again.